You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday, Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Youth is served wherever it is you look. Youth is served at the NFL Combine, Mariners Spring Training. Those who have a birthday today, you're only like five, six years old. Most notably, Ja Rule. Shout out to Ja. Shout out to Ja. He's got a lot of free time on his hands nowadays. Mm -hmm. He's not planning uh, fraudulent festivals. Yeah. Or is he? Because (laughs) remember, at the end of those documentaries, he was still pulling, still hoping to make Fire Festival a thing. So congrats to you, Ja. Make dreams come true in 2020. Happy Leap Day. Yeah, happy Leap Day. What, it would be weird to have your birthday on this day, and shout out to, to everybody who feels left out the other other non-leap years. Yeah, what day do you celebrate on if you do have a leap day birthday? Maybe you identify. 28th, March 1st. Yeah, do you identify more as February 28th or March 1st? Who knows? It but, could be uh, whatever you want it to Shout be. out to those who have a leap day birthday. If you if you do, text in to this text line, 710 uh, but we've got a lot to get to today, including, you know, in the theme of Leap Day, which Seahawks do we want to see take a leap in 2020? And we've got a few candidates. That's coming up a little bit later on in the show. But uh, a lot of lot of stuff coming from the NFL Combine this week, a lot of stuff coming from Mariners Spring Training, which, by the way, coming up at noon, you can hear the Mariners take on the Kansas City Royals in Cactus League action right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. So, Lots, lots in store. We got a Dragons game coming up later this afternoon on Fox, two p.m. kickoff over in St. Louis. Uh, so, just so much youth is on display, and it's it's local talent at the NFL Combine. You got quarterbacks Jacob Eason, and Anthony Gordon, uh, and a lot of futures up and uh, a lot of futures at stake with the Seahawks and with the Mariners put on full display this week. I thought you were just talking about us, Curtis. That's um, true. We're young, also. Yeah, okay. we're we're definitely young. Like, my skin's been looking pretty, you know, youthful lately, yeah, so I mean, thank you. Did, thank you for that. Did you moisturize? Yes, exactly. It's important, people. But <laughs> also, yes, uh, across – and I think it also lends itself to hope, right? Mm-hmm. That feeling of being at spring training. Shannon Dreher joined Danny and Gallant yesterday, and I'd love to quote from her that she's like, in all her years of covering with the with the Mariners, she's never been around so many young people in camp where it's it's not about the veterans, it's about the young people. And that is certainly how it feels this week. That's our theme for, for today. It is. It absolutely is. So, uh, yeah, coming up, we'll go through some of the biggest headlines coming from the NFL Combine. We'll also take a look at just any sort of news that came from Pete Carroll and John Schneider. They spoke for the first time in what was about a month and a half, two months ever since the Seahawks season ended in the divisional round, and they gave us some pretty big uh, nuggets to chew on about what lies ahead for them this offseason. We'll get into that coming up later in this hour, but right now let's get into the big three. Number one. Like we said, plenty of local talent this week at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Of course, there are the quarterbacks, UW's Jacob Eason and Wazoo's Anthony Gordon. Eason's big arm was on full display Thursday night in prime time. He's able to unleash the berserker a few times. UW tight end Hunter Bryant worked out to mixed results, running a slower 40 time than most draft analysts had expected. Also in attendance, left tackle Trey Adams and center Nick Harris. One of the most confounding performances belonged to running back Savon Ahmed. Many people thought he was going to be one of the faster running backs. He clocked in at a 4.62 in the 40 
A year ago, he ran a 4-3-2 at the Husky Combine. Combine continues through the weekend with workouts being held with defensive linemen, linebackers, and DBs. We will get into all sorts of headlines from the Combine coming up in about the 10 o'clock hour, but so much young talent on display, and I think it's great that both schools were very well represented at the Combine. That's sort of been a tradition over the last couple of years with what the foundations that Chris Peterson and Mike Leach have put in place. Now you've got Jimmy Lake and Nick Rolovich taking over. Can they continue on and continue this this run that both these schools have been on? Really good to see the purple and gold and the crimson and gray in Indianapolis. It's sort of become an annual tradition. Number two. Well, the one and two Seattle Dragons head to St. Louis to take on the two and one Battle Hawks today, 2 p.m. on Fox kickoff time. Seattle fell to the Dallas Renegades last week in a tough loss. It seemed like a winnable game, one that was within their grasp, especially in the first half. The defense continued to create takeaways. That was the good news. Three of them on the day last Saturday, but the offense stalling yet again, especially in that final 30 minutes as Dallas scored 18 unanswered points. The Dragons will look to get back on track today against a team with at least one familiar face on it for local people. That would be running back Kristen Michael. See Mike. Let's go. He scored the Battlehawks' first points in the Dome last week to thunderous applause. They had just over 30,000 people there in attendance, so beating out just barely the Dragons crowd here at CenturyLink Field. They also had some really interesting plays in that game, a 58-yard field goal that they belted, and then the reverse lateral on a kickoff return that they took all the way to the house. Their head coach, Jonathan Hayes, he spent time, uh, well, with the Bengals, but also as a former special teams coordinator with Oklahoma with Bob Stoops and that 2000 team that was so dominant. So you could see some more interesting wrinkles to the game today, especially when it comes to the special team side. And the Dragons have actually been pretty good in that category as well. They've got John Santiago as the number one returner uh, in the XFL. So this could get this could get fun today. They will be without star Cason Williams for yet another week, though. Number three. Week into the Cactus League. It's mostly good to great results so far for the Young Mariners. Let's start with the good. Yusei Kikuchi bouncing back yesterday in his second start. Jake Fraley, he's been rock steady, batting 375 with a home run. Shed Long, he's batting leadoff today. He carries a 364 average into the weekend. And now how about the great Logan Gilbert, Justice Sheffield. Two people with lots of expectations being future members of the Mariners rotation or in Justice Sheffield's case, a likely current member of the Mariners rotation. They both notched two innings of shutout ball in each of their first spring appearances. How about that phenom, Jared Kelnick, only 20 years old. He's off to a three-for-8 start, including a double in his very first at-bat in Major League Camp, the Mariners. They're going to look to keep all of this going today against the Kansas City Royals. Pre-game begins at noon. First pitch, 12-10, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. We also got word today that Taiwan Walker will make his spring debut for the Mariners on Wednesday of this week. Really good to see him bouncing back from those injuries that he has sustained the last couple of seasons. Always good to see Taiwan Walker out on the mound, and hopefully that fastball is there because he was clocked at about 85, 88 miles an hour a little bit ago in spring training, so maybe building that arm strength up, he'll be raring to go on Wednesday. That is this hour's big three. Some honorable mentions. Last night, the Cougs sweeping the Huskies in college basketball. That doesn't happen often. And got a little spicy at the end. Uh, Cougs saying to the heckhead crowd, 
this is our city or this is my city. So that's a the football rivalry. There is some zest between the two schools. Basketball, I've never really gotten that sense. You know, I think there is a dislike between the two schools on the hardwood. But I, I feel like that rivalry is lacking the passion that the football one has. Mm-hmm. Because you need both teams to be truly good and dominant at the same time. And I'm not sure that that's happened recently, right? But yeah. whereas the football programs, you've been vying for Apple Cups that have actually had playoff implications in mm-hmm. the past couple of years. And I think that's part of what makes a great rivalry. We've talked about it on the show before. There are certain criteria, and parity is one of those things. So when those two schools are good at the same time, that's when you get that visceral anger. But right now, it's like UW's just yeah. not in that place. Well, Nazki's got even more, I guess, it was expected news, disappointing news that Quade Green will likely not return to the Huskies in time for the Pac-12 tournament. He's currently suspended uh, for academic uh, ineligibility, so this, the uh, Huskies will be without their starting point guard likely for the rest of the season. Yikes. Which was when, really, things started to take a turn when, yeah. when they lost Quad A, and he, who knew that he was the glue holding it all together, perhaps? We'll continue to watch Isaiah Stewart in wonder, and it's just too bad. I feel for him that he didn't get an opportunity to go further in his time here. Yeah, he's going to be a lock for the first-team All-Pac-12, maybe even a freshman All-American, but it's a bummer that uh, there just wasn't the talent around him to, I guess, put all of that on display and and this Husky team to reach their ceiling. And we saw them reach their ceiling maybe in the first game of the year, and unfortunately that's where they peaked, beating number one Baylor. It's just like peaking in high school, right? You don't want to do yeah. it. No, you, you don't, don't want to do that. You don't want to do it. You don't want to be the first one to respond to the 10-year anniversary invite. <laughs> no. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 I'm there. I'm I, totally I don't know what's there. on my schedule that week, but I'll clear it. Yeah, no, yeah. you don't want to be don't that, be that eager. But also uh, some good news around town. Actually, some really good news, these next two hi- uh, highlights here. NHL Seattle breaking ground on their Northgate practice facility, an $80 million practice facility uh, that's going to be going up in time for their 2021 season. That's going to be really cool to see. Um, I think three rinks they're putting in there, which will also be available to the public on days that the team's not there using it or in the off season. This is a great hockey city, and we've seen that with the Thunderbirds and the Silver Tips being, you know, just on the, the peripheral and the edges and being able to experience that. But part of bringing hockey, a professional team, to a city is also bringing youth hockey and bringing hockey interest from from the from the ground up. So this is awesome. I love this, and I'm excited for it. I'm excited for their Palm Springs affiliate. Yeah. We'll all have an excuse to head on down to Palm Springs in the cold months and check out the minor league team. Totally down. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, some really cool stuff going on in CenturyLink Field tomorrow as the Seattle Sounders raise their 2019 MLS Cup banner tomorrow for their season opener against the Chicago Fire. Sounders with their second banner, get that second star on their jerseys. Uh, that's t- that's tomorrow. It feels like MLS season just ended. That's how quick their off season goes. But uh, yeah, they're going to be getting underway tomorrow. They've had a couple of what, like friendlies, and they've had a few games going on already. Yeah. But when just like two ma- two days ago, or a day yeah, ago? it was mm-hmm. like a some kind of cup match. Mm-hmm. Apologies for not getting exactly. Brand, but our our friends who love soccer, I'm sure, will scold us. Text in what we missed. Yeah, but yeah, shout out to the Sounders raising their second banner tomorrow. 
That's going to be going on at CenturyLink Field. But as we did this whole week, Pete John, they spoke at the Combine. We will give you the most important quotes from them, including what they see from the pass rush market in the NFL and free agency, which starts in less than about three weeks now. We get into all of that Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. 15 minutes from now, do we know anything more about Jadevian Clowney's future with the Seahawks, or could it be elsewhere? We dive into that coming up in 15 minutes right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Lydia Cruz, I'm Curtis Rogers right here with you until noon as we get you set for Mariners spring training that comes your way at noon. But before all of that, we have the NFL Combine, which is still going on. It feels like it's never going to end. Yeah, it, the coverage, it never seems like it's going to end. Although I do love me some Rich Eisen, some Daniel yes. Jeremiah. Rich going to run the uh, 40 on Sunday, run, Rich, run, as he usually does. But, uh, yeah, sometimes and we love football in this country. We get starved right about this time. Mm-hmm. But... Do you need always like eight hours of combine coverage? Probably not. No, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop. No, it doesn't. Not and probably we'll add more somehow. But <laughs> yeah, but I think the one highlight that casual football fans look forward to at the combine, because there are a lot of guys working out that even us as huge college football fans that don't just follow what's going on locally, but also on a national scene. There are a lot of names out there that I've never even seen. Yeah. And so it's really hard to get an attachment to those guys. But we do know Pete Carroll. We do know John Schneider. They spoke a lot this week in Indianapolis. They're still there. And they had plenty to say about what the Seahawks season was in 2019, what they're looking forward to this offseason, which begins in a couple of weeks. We got the franchise tag window, which is now open. Don't expect the Seahawks to do anything in there. But they did give us a lot of hints as to what their plans are this offseason, and specifically with that pass rush. Absolutely. As you could expect, that was the topic of conversation, not only when they took the podium, but also sitting down with John Clayton this week for some exclusive conversations with him. And Pete Carroll mentioning that there is a half dozen pass rushers that they're interested in. There is a pretty good group of guys, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see you know, how that all comes down. There's a half dozen guys that, that have been effective, maybe more than that, half you know, dozen that we're looking at for sure, uh, that have been effective and put up some numbers and could add to a club and, and uh, could help us. And so you know, we just have to see how it sorts out. When I hear half dozen pass rushers in mind, my hope is that Jadevian Clowney is one of them. I hope he hasn't <laughs> priced so. I hope he hasn't priced himself out of the Seahawks plans. And we learned yesterday the salary cap is going to be near two hundred million, maybe even upwards of two oh five, which I think would give the Seahawks between like four to five extra million dollars than they had anticipated on this year's salary cap. So who knows? Maybe that a couple of those million could go Jadevian Clowney's way. But I think for the Seahawks to have a successful offseason, of those six to seven pass rushers they have in mind, they got to come away with two. Mm-hmm. And that might make things a little tight when it comes to that salary cap. But I look at where the Seahawks are right now, and there are. I think the biggest similarity between we've heard them say, oh, it feels like 2012 all over again. I think the biggest similarity between now and then is that that 2012 team also struggled with the pass rush. 
you had Chris Clemens, who had the majority of the sacks on that team that year. This year, you had Jadevian Clowney was the best defensive player, really, on the entire roster. And the Seahawks made a point that offseason to go out and get pass rush help. And they found it on a cheap level with Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill. Now, I'm not saying that the Seahawks can go out and replicate what they did and, and get players on the cheap who had career years like Bennett and Averill had in 2013. But the possibility is there. The Seahawks have the cap flexibility to do so. So if there is a way for the Seahawks to kind of mimic what happened in 2012 and 2013, because it sounds like that's what they want to do, they want to really get this thing going back towards the Super Bowl, pass rush is the biggest need. Absolutely. And unfortunately, the Ziggy Onsa experiment didn't work out. Sounds like a great band name, by the way, though. Um, But it just... That, to me, was almost trying to go back to that and find someone out there that would fit your needs and fit your system. And this time, it just didn't work. But now it's back to the drawing board. And those six names, hopefully, I would trust that they could come up with someone. It also tells me that they're not putting all of their eggs in the clowny basket as well. Because you just can't you can't only have one plan. You mm-hmm. can't only have a plan A in this league. You have to have a plan B, C, D, and so forth. And Pete and John, to me, have always been pretty good at that when i wonder of those half dozen names if any of them included chris jones with kansas city who's going to get franchise tagged or shaquille barrett from tampa bay who we heard yesterday is likely going to get the tag from tampa bay if those two guys get tagged does that does that put an end to the seahawks interest in those players or does do they have to get tricky and say all right we'll 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 give kansas city their second round pick back for Chris Jones if you wanted to make a trade for them or we'll give Tampa Bay a second rounder for Shaq Barrett. I, the whole franchise tag thing, that's going to be a wrinkle in what the Seahawks do because I think Matthew Judon is another name we've mm-hmm. heard potentially get tagged by Baltimore. That I mean, you'd think those three guys, you know, three of the best available guys out there, but if those three get tagged – that half dozen list really gets pared down, I would imagine, unless Pete Carroll and John Schneider have other guys in mind who we're not even thinking of. Yeah, that might be it as well, because uh, I wouldn't put it past John Schneider too uh, to have a couple names in mind that we aren't necessarily thinking of. How about the fact that it's not only ruling what they're planning on doing in free agency, but I think it might rule what they do in the draft as well. They mentioned that it's really involved in all aspects of what they're doing right now. Pete Carroll saying uh, it's keeping John Schneider up at night. Yeah, that's definitely the focal point for us, and it has to be. And that's why the work being done now um, early uh, is crucial. And John's on it, and he'll get, take us as far as he can. And then, uh, you know, we're very open to what the other opportunities that are out there, and we, we're on everything. So, mm-hmm. um I mean, he's not sleeping. Between John Matt Thomas, those guys were up all night long working to just stay ahead of the, the agents and, and make sure that they can make all the communications that are necessary. Uh, it's a really, really grueling, busy time for those guys. They are just busting ass to get started here just to get this, the, the combine underway. You know, that's that's all the pre-combine stuff that they're doing and their visits here. Keeping, yeah, a lot of sleepless nights. Sheesh. Worrying and about the pass rush. Sleepless nights this time of year when the league is kind of taking their foot off the gas pedal a little bit, it's ramping up with the combine. It's ramping up as we near free agency, but man, imagine if they're having sleepless nights now, what it's going to be like March 18th when the league year opens 
and you know players are signing like crazy. I can't imagine Peter John are ever going to get like more than thirty minutes uh, of nap time. Maybe it just becomes point. yeah your reality. You just you lean on the heavily on the power nap. Um, but heading into the draft, of course, they've got a couple things on their mind. Not just the pass rush. John Schneider also talking this week about drafting for need. We've heard from him discuss that several times in the past, but how that might create a need to potentially add to the running back room, which was a position about a year ago I think people felt uh, pretty pretty decent about. Yeah, you right? had Chris Carson coming off a 1,000-yard season, Rashad Penny a, a first-round pick, and, you you know, C.J. Proceis, you, you know, if he was going to be healthy, you could slot him into the lineup. But now, Proceis probably not going to come back. Unrestricted free agent. Penny... You don't know what his health is going to become week one. Maybe he'll be out the Even first couple of weeks Pete's of the season. optimism, he couldn't sell you on that. Yeah. He said that he's not unsure about him. Carson coming off the hip injury that ended his season early. And we saw Delano Hill, similar situation, have some struggles with that. So it's just there's a lot of uncertainty in that room. And Schneider mentioning that uh, drafting for need could lead to addressing an issue in the running back room. I think the biggest thing there is that you can't panic for need. You know, you can't just go out and say, hey, you know, we need, we got to get, you know, just check boxes is what I'm talking about. Basically, we're going to, we're going to find the best players all the way through the process. And throughout that process, that will mean checking some boxes of need along the way. And, uh, you know, it's kind of unheard of to lose, you know, three runners in, in what, 13, 14 days. Um, but, you know, we were, we were blessed that, that Marshawn came back and helped us, and Homer did a great job. So, uh, we're, you know, there's, there's a lot to build on, and um, we'll, be, we'll be addressing that position, there's no doubt. So from that I get, yes, addressing that position, but being very patient and not reaching for that position, which is important. You've taken a first-round running back in the past couple of years. That, that was a reach. Yes, and that doesn't need to happen again because you've also taken a sixth and a seventh round running back and seen dividends pay off with those people. More Chris Carson so than Travis Homer yet. But I think you can find and fill that need late in the draft. So please don't go reaching yeah. for that one. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Don't go reaching Only for Only stick to backs. the rivers that you're used to. <laughs> and the lengths that you're used to. Come on. Yeah, and also we heard – that they expect Will Disley to be ready by week one, which Good is news. great news for the tight end room, especially when you bring in Greg Olson and the experience he has. We saw Jacob Hollister last year take a leap forward uh, and become a contributor in his first full season in the or first full year of action in the NFL. I think he spent most of the previous year on New England's practice squad. Um, More importantly, Curtis, how do you feel about Uncle Will now we- wearing eighty nine? Yeah, we got that news yesterday. Will Disley going with number 89. I would imagine he probably texted Doug Baldwin and was like, hey, is it okay? I would think so. Because, I mean, that's a number synonymous with a player here in Seattle. They don't retire too many uniforms. you got to be in the in the Hall of Fame in order to uh, get your number retired by the Seahawks organization. I think that's one of the stipulations. But they have, like, taken a couple numbers out of commission. Like, you don't see anybody wearing number eight with Matt Hasselbeck. You don't see – I don't think you see anybody – uh, 76, I think, because Steve Hutchinson, that was his number. That was, what, Russell Okun's number here. So numbers get used a little bit here and there, but not too often. And 89 obviously was out of commission last year. But I think Will Disley, the kind of player that he is and, and could be, 
would be a, a very good representation of that number because, I mean, Doug Baldwin put in a lot of work. Here. And he gave up 88 uh, for a donation to his charity. So yes. even the reason that he gave up 88 to Greg Olson, to his new teammate, uh, went to a donation to his foundation. So what better reason for that? I like that. Let's go. All good stuff. <laughs> All good stuff. So speaking of good stuff, Jadevian Klenning coming back to the Seahawks, that would be great stuff. But did we learn more about where his mind is at heading into free agency this week? We get into that coming up here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. probably talk i mean that's kind of our job that's what we're doing here for the next three hours seattle sports saturday we were talking about the seahawks and their need for pass rush in that last segment and the one guy who i think is going to be the key to what the seahawks do this offseason specifically at that spot is jadevian Clowney. and this week he talked sort of he talked through espn's josina anderson she's got a lot of Player's phone numbers in that phone of hers. Mm-hmm. That's how she gets her, her her job done. Getting those firing those texts off Digits. to all sorts of players. And Jadevian Clowney this week, he spoke with her via text. And the big quote that got a lot of people talking, but I don't know if we learned anything new from Clowney, uh, was this. It said, "quote After spending the last year in Seattle and seeing how they do things, I would definitely like to return. However, I'm also open to new opportunities." If it comes down to that, end quote. So Clowney pretty much saying what he said at the end of the Packers game where, like, I'd love to return. Like, this is a really good place for me. Um, you know, and seeing how they do things here. And we heard from from Carol and Schneider this week, too, about how Clowney on his way out uh, of you know, the season and his exit interviews is very thankful and very grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, let's hear that quote from John Schneider at the Combine saying it meant a lot when Clowney let them know that. It was great. I mean, I think he came in. He loved the culture. Coach, he loves the coaching staff, you know, loves the, loves the chefs, loves our equipment guys. And, I mean, it's, he's, he's, a, he's a really fun guy. And he was, he, was, he was a blast to be around, and I hope we can con- continue that, you know. Yeah, it would seem that he fits perfectly in the culture here and the environment here. I, I love this quote from him. Let's just recap that after this was after the season came to an end and he was in the locker room. I don't know what to look for. I just want to win. I try to get that Super Bowl by any means. So that's what I'm looking for. Who's going to get me that? I ain't looking to go get on no sorry team for no money. And that's the thing on flop. I ain't going to get nobody through all of that just to lose you no know, 16 games and go home with my check. I hate that. So. That ain't what I'm doing. So if I can't win no Super Bowl, I ain't going to no team that can't win. Okay. He says he's not going to go to a team that can't win. Justina Anderson also reported this week that the Giants and Colts are expected to have strong interest in signing Jadevian Clowney, two teams that are not as close to the Seahawks are in, in getting to a Super Bowl, the Giants especially. They've got a second-year quarterback in Daniel Jones who – I guess at times showed he could be a decent starter, maybe not to the level that Eli Manning was at his peak. You know, he had that great game against Tampa Bay, but then it all kind of came back down to earth for the rookie. And the Colts, who they've got a ton of cap space, a lot of it, I think over $80 million. I think they have the most, again, 
of any team in the NFL. But they'll probably spend some on their quarterback. Yeah, and we don't know if it's going to be Jacoby Brissett or somebody else, maybe Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers is a huge candidate. Because Frank Reich was mm-hmm. his quarterback's coach in San Diego for some time. They may even go after Tom Brady, which would look so bizarre. Weird, Tom Brady in a Colts jersey, that's his biggest rival <laughs> yeah. for his entire career. But what do those teams have that I guess the Seahawks don't that would entice Jadavion Clowney to come there? I guess it comes down to, again, that the price tag. I think that the separation in the NFL from being able to turn your team around from being mediocre to pretty great, we've seen, though, in the NFL, probably of any other sport, it, you, that turnaround can happen super fast. So that's the only thing is what promise are you are you making or what assurances are you offering that you are that team and that you can offer that? I think the Seahawks have the most proven track record. Yes. And they've been competitive the entire time throughout Pete and John's tenure here. But also I could see teams especially feeling very empowered by what the 49ers did last year, saying, well, look at you go from a four-win team to being in the Super Bowl. Now, granted, they had a lot of draft capital and and probably arguably one of the best GMs and head coaches in the biz. But I don't know. I could see teams making being able to make that case that they could turn their team around quickly. And ultimately, you still want to get paid. Oh, yeah. I If Jadevian Clowney takes – the top dollar deal that he has offered this offseason, I would not blame him one At bit. At all. I would say, yeah, go go get that check, man. Like, I'm never going to shame a player for making the best employment decision oh, yeah. that they need to because their careers are so short. They put themselves through so much, and I will never not be supportive of that. If, if a team out there throws a $23, $24 million contract at Clowney, like – Take it, man. Mm-hmm. I don't blame you one bit yeah. for, for chasing that dollar because with how short NFL careers are, you don't know when it's going to end, and you want to be financially sound for the rest of your life. A contract like that obviously would do that for for any player, and I think Clowney is going to be well within that conversation of highest-paid defensive player in the NFL, and people look at you know the sack numbers and say, well, he's never had a double-digit sack season in his career. How can you make somebody like that the highest-paid player? But we saw it firsthand this season, just how much he can alter a game, not just by rushing the passer, but by dropping back into coverage, by forcing turnovers. Like His value is not found just in sacks, and I think that's something that when football fans and, and look at you know the impact a player can have, they, they, their eyes are drawn to those stats right away. Like For quarterbacks, it's passing yards, it's touchdowns, it's whatever. But also, like... You look at who led the league in passing this season, Jameis Winston. I would not put him as a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. I would not put him as a top half quarterback mm-hmm. in the NFL. He threw for over 5,000 yards, but he also threw for 30 interceptions. Like Those stats are great when you look at them, and they're great for fantasy football. He just needed LASIK, Curtis. Yeah. And okay. Bruce, Arians said, Bruce Arians said only 20 of the 30 yeah. were his fault. Okay? So only, only right. 20 interceptions were his fault. The other bag. 10 were totally on the receivers. Yeah. But... You know, you look at Clowney's impact, it's not just felt in sacks, it's felt in everything else that he does, and I think the Seahawks definitely recognize that. Um, you know, will other teams recognize that? Probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are smart front offices in the NFL. Well, I think the Colts have a smart front office. He's still out on the Giants. Dave Gettleman, 
I don't know what his plan is in New York. It seems like he's just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall, hoping it sticks. So to me, yes, that would be a mark in the Seahawks' favor. If that's your competition, It's this. it reminds me of slightly, not really, of the Greg Olson signing too, where there were two teams that were vying for his interest, and he had ties personally, yeah. coaching-wise, to both of them. But ultimately he felt like Seattle was the best place for him, and he still got a decent deal. Might have been able, who knows, to get a slightly better deal in one of those other locations. But here in Seattle, it's looking pretty attractive. When I think that point that you brought up about Olsen picking Seattle over two teams where he had a lot of familiarity with the power structure in place, I think that kind of speaks to the lure and the magneticism that Russell Wilson has in all of these negotiations and all of these players that are considering Seattle uh, you know, and considering other teams, like Russell Wilson is a quarterback that players want to play with now. Like he's a recruiter too. Yeah, by the way, <laughs> he. I mean, he. There's those pictures of him with Greg Olson at the Super Bowl. You got to think that you know because Olson was cut during that week, the leading up to the Super Bowl. Kind of think Russ was in his ear saying, "Hey, man, come to Seattle. We'll get you that ring." Like having a quarterback like that, plus the amount of cap space that the Seahawks do, I think that is just something that very few teams in this league can match. And I think Clowney even mentioned that while he was here, getting to play with a quarterback like Russell Wilson. He's never had that opportunity. I mean, Deshaun Watson is a really good quarterback in his own right, but I think if you're looking at who you would take to win a Super Bowl, if you had one season to win a Super Bowl, I think Russell Wilson would be taken over Deshaun Watson and I and Nine say that with so much love in my heart for Deshaun. Oh, yeah, loved great him quarterback, college. great guy. But, yeah, Russell Wilson, proven proven winner. Also, this is an interesting question. Maybe we can come back to it. But Russ obviously is a recruitment tool, especially on offense. But does he hold that same power over recruiting defensive players here to Seattle? Because, of course, rising water lifts all boats. Like, you want to go to a mm-hmm. team that has a great quarterback because it also means you're going to do less work if you're a defensive player, mm-hmm. be on the field less. But also, since the personality of the Seahawks has changed over the past couple of years, and where I would say that the defense recruited itself or recruited players here to Seattle, it's a little bit different now. And I'd love to ask you about that, maybe uh, coming up later later in the show, about does Russell Wilson also have that draw for defensive players here mm, in Seattle? Yeah. We'll get back to that conversation coming up in a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, you look at just what the Seahawks are, are able to do this offseason, and it starts and ends with Jadevian Clowney. And when you look at the kind of dollar figure that Clowney could get this offseason, we're looking maybe north of $20 million. We're, I mean, we've got a couple weeks to kind of see where his mind is at, where the Seahawks' mind is at in this. But if you were John Schneider right now, and knowing the cap – number is going to be north of $200 million and that you're maybe going to have four to five extra million dollars to spend this off season. Do you think that increases the dollar amount slash likelihood mm-hmm. for the Seahawks to re-sign Clowney? Do you think they would be willing to go a little bit more than what they're, what they're comfortable with right now in order to retain Clowney this off season? Yeah, and I think it also depends on, we talked about plan A, plan B, plan C, of what they also believe. If they have their eye on about half-dozen pass rushers, how what they believe they can get 
in the rest of free agency. So going for broke on on one player might lead to might be because you feel like you can't get two guys that you really believe in. You want that one difference maker. And then you're also going to believe in the fact that LJ Collier is going to step up and and Rasheem Green is going to continue to progress and maybe you draft somebody I, yeah. along the way too. They've got three picks in the first two rounds. I got to imagine at least one of those is going to be a pass rusher. And you know, we talked about it earlier where in 2012 there was a a lack of pass rush and then by 2013 there were pass rushers everywhere. We saw it just this last season with the 49ers where in twenty nine or in twenty eighteen, they had no pass rush, and then all of a sudden, Eric Armstead took a step forward. DeForest Buckner was great. You bring in Nick Bosa, who obviously the Seahawks aren't going to be able to draft somebody like that. The Chase Youngs of the world, and then they go out and trade for D Ford too. So they're they were able to just jumpstart their pass rush super quick. I think the Seahawks are in a really great great spot to do just that in twenty twenty. Coming up in the next hour, we give you our big three. But before we do that, there's one guy in Mariners camp right now making a lot of noise. <laughs> His name's Jared Kelnick. He's in the starting lineup today. What do you do with him if he is your very best player in camp? We talk that next. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Plenty of NFL combine headlines, all sorts of free agency stuff we're going to dive into in the 10 o'clock hour. Also going to take a look at villains in sports because (laughs) there's a feud going on in the NBA right now that has caught our attention, kind of representing, I guess, the forces of good and evil colliding. Just think about brainstorm who are the greatest villains in modern sports, in professional sports, and please text in seven ten seven ten. Get your mind working about it now. Also, how, a lot of villains. Right yes, now. how quickly you can move from hero to villain, or villain to hero, and back again. We'll discuss that. It moves quick, mm-hmm. just like this show. We're coming up Life already. Goes at you fast. Yeah, at the end of the first hour already. <laughs> Uh, if you miss any portion of our show today, make sure to check out the podcast page, 710sports.com. We're there for you. Every hour of every show is available for you. But Mariners, they are a week into the Cactus League. They've The results on the scoreboard have been up and down, but I would say for the most part, the key figures in this rebuild, a lot of them have been having really good starts to the beginning of spring training. We talked in the big three we had – you know, Shed Long off to a really good start. Jake Batting Fraley. Off a lot of that. Yeah, Shed Long today is your leadoff hitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake Fraley off to a really good start. Logan Gilbert, Justice Sheffield, all pitching well. And then there's Jared Kelnick, who in his very first at-bat of the spring laced a double uh, to get things going. That's a pretty nice way to introduce yourself to Mariners fans who I think are getting their first extended look at him. Uh, I'd say casual Mariners fans because the diehards – they have the MILB subscription. They are the ones checking out Modesto it's Nuts. It's not nerdy. Games. It's no, not nerdy. Not okay? at all. Totally normal. Totally normal. <laughs> but this is their first look at him. And he is a player that really jumps off the page when you see him in person or when you see him on TV, which we're going to have that opportunity to today. And if he is the very best position player in camp, and it's, I mean, he obviously has like the most talent other than maybe like Julio Rodriguez in camp right now. 
if he's far and away the best guy out there for through the rest of the Cactus League, what's holding back the Mariners from bringing him up to the major league level? Is it strictly service time? Is that what they don't want to have to deal with? Or is there other reasons why they might keep him down in the minor leagues for you know maybe a couple more months? Because I, I would expect to see him at some point in 2020 up in Seattle. I think it's possible. Remember that September call-ups, their structure changes a little bit this year, so it's no longer the 40-man. Not as many people getting that call-up in September. I think it believes it. So now it's instead of 25, it's 26. And then uh, I think you have to, to 28. Yeah, right? you have to designate your 28 players in the month of September. So yes. it's only a couple extra guys. And so it'll be a little bit different this year to watch that time of the season. But I agree. If you if your goal and he has made so much progress this year that is to bring him up next year, then yes, by by all means, I think you will see him in in the late months of the year, in the in the last month of the year of the year. But let's keep in mind that Jared Kelnick is also when playing in Double A Arkansas last year, he was. Like the average five years younger than a lot of people around him, four point eight. That yeah, he was, was nineteen. In yes. AA. So most people older than him, and there's just a certain, also not just physical but mental maturing process that has to happen. And I think when baseball, a lot of it is not about what you accomplish; it's about what you don't accomplish. Because baseball is a game of failure, right? We say it all the time. You need to have moments of struggle and adversity. And experience those so that you know how to dig yourself out of them. You need to to go oh and I don't know forty oh, for, yeah. whatever. Well, and that's a that's I know, a sorry. I was thinking of like uh, Chris Davis or something. Oh, my, bad. my bad. My <laughs> bad. I wouldn't if do that to you, Jared. Yeah, I I don't wish Chris Davis's last couple seasons yeah. on anybody, and specifically Jared Kelman. Yes, and we're like get the right Chris Davis. Of course, we're not talking <laughs> athletics. No, we're Chris talking Davis. Baltimore Chris Davis. About, yes, because uh, athletics Chris Davis just punishes the Mariners every time he gets up to bat, but. Uh, you need to to experience failure in an extended period and know what that's like. And this is someone who's been so good at everything he's done up until this point in his life. I think he dealt with an injury a little bit and, or a sluggish start. That's what it was. Yeah, when he was up with uh, Modesta or no, I think when he was up with Arkansas, mm-hmm. the first couple weeks he was Just scuffling a little, a little bit. But then come playoff time, he was his normal self, what he was in Modesto and in West Virginia last exactly. year. Exactly. that. Those moments of development are the key here. So my only trepidation would be bringing him and rushing him up too quickly to where he doesn't, you're doing him a disservice because he doesn't get to experience those moments of failure and then the moments of subsequent success, rebounding, demonstrating you can get out of them because it's, it's going to happen in the majors. Yes, without a doubt. It happens to everybody. I mean, even Mike Trout will, will have an O for a spell. I mean, his aren't as frequent as everybody else's, but that's just how the game is. Like you're going to have moments where it feels like you cannot hit a ball out of the infield. It feels like you cannot make contact or you're, you know, airmailing throws wherever it is, but that's just how the game is. And, and young players, how they deal with those failures really says a lot about who they're going to be at the major league level. And you know, we've seen plenty of top end talented players come through the Mariners over the last decade or so yeah you brought this up on our show sheet yeah you know we had Mike Zanino who was a number two overall pick when he got drafted Dustin Ackley same thing number two Justin Smoke was a huge acquisition from the Texas Rangers organization Jesus Montero was seen as like the best bat 
in minor league baseball, you know, he was a generational bat. All four of those guys had early struggles in their careers and were never able to shake them at the plate and never fully developed into the players that a lot of, you know, draft experts and a lot of people who follow minor league baseball, like Baseball America, had them pay for. I mean, Dustin Ackley, when he was taken, he was viewed as the safest pick in that draft. Easy. College bat. Guy can hit. One of the greatest college hitters ever. And that was the one thing he couldn't do at the major league level is hit consistently. It was stunning to see him go from this automatic sure thing to somebody that could not do it at the major league level. And you wonder, does that kind of experience here in Seattle, I know the the front office is totally different than what it was when those four guys came up, but you got to wonder if people who were in the Mariners organization then that are still there now kind of have those same trepidations like, well, we may have been at the root cause for some of those struggles. Why not leave a lot of these guys down a little bit longer than I think fans are comfortable with in order to work out those kinks? And we could see that with Kelnick. We could see that with Julio. Uh, other players, too, who are, who are knocking on the, the door of Major League Baseball. It's kind of crazy how long it has taken for the development, the mental skills, the uh, just everything aside of physical skills part of baseball focus to develop but I think now there's so much more focus on it throughout the minor leagues but even talking to players a couple years ago where they're in um, high a or double a and what the nutrition program looks like there or the fact that they're making like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day because that's what they can afford that even has changed in the last couple of years because yeah this is a holistic approach we're taking we want you to be well in all aspects of your life so that's what i think as a fan you should feel comforted by is that now they are in tune with the mental side just as much as they are the physical side and i don't think they're going to rush these guys too quickly to the show because they want what we want, which yeah. is ultimately sustained success. Uh, Kelnick, he joined. This quote we're about to play was from an interview he did with Tom, Jake, and Stacy a couple weeks ago. Which is great. You should listen to the full thing. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was right. I think it was right when pitchers and catchers reported. Um, and Kelnick mentioned that his goal is not just to make the team, but to be the very best player in camp. My expectations are to try to be the best guy in camp. You know, my, my expectations have always been higher than everyone else's. Um, and I think, uh, being one of the younger guys, uh, with kind of a, a spotlight on me, there's going to be what people think, um, there's going to be some pressure, but when you have your expectations higher than everyone else's, there's no such thing as pressure because, um, you know, you're, when you have your expectations so high, uh, you just try to fulfill, you're already fulfilling everybody else's, but you just got to meet yours. When you hear quotes like that you know, from young players. So often they're like, oh, I'm just grateful to be here. I'm just fighting for my spot. We heard Juan Soto from the Nationals, superstar player, say, I'm still fighting for a spot in camp, which is, okay, that's cute, but you're an MVP (laughs) candidate every single season. When I hear Jared Kelnick say his goal to be the very best player in Mariners camp, that is an incredible thing to say because it shows that he is not just satisfied with making a team. He wants to be the best player. And, I don't know if we've ever heard that from a Mariners prospect over the last decade or so saying, I want to be the very best player. You, you don't hear when Kyle Seager came up with the Mariners. You never heard him say that. Dustin Ackley was not talking to anybody, and he was definitely not going to say something like that. And and it's almost like baseball is allowing it more now. 
because they're allowing more personality there. It used to be sort of respect your place, know your role as a rookie, as a young person, listen to the veterans, um, just be quiet and take in everything. And now it seems like you can be that rookie that says, no, I'm going to be the best on the team. I want to lead this team. And I think that's a good change for baseball. Coming up in the next hour, we take a look at some of the biggest headlines in the NFL coming from Indianapolis this week. But up next, we give you our big three. Plenty of combine talk, spring training across Major League Baseball, and the CBA getting very, very close to being completed. We get into all of that coming up here on Seattle Sports Saturday.